Can something as simple as buying a washer and dryer or a piece of furniture before you close on your house actually make you lose your dream home? It sure can. We're going to discuss this and all things financial that you need to know when buying your first home. Let's talk about it. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is David Sedoni, the how to buy a home guy. Sorry about the little hiatus, got a little sick, but I'm back and I'm excited because today we're going to be talking about something really important, financially preparing to buy your first home. Now, if you're here, it's because you're curious and we're here to help. And by we, I mean me and this microphone. Again, David Sedoni, the how to buy a home guy, excited to talk to you guys today. This is how to turn your largest monthly bill your rent into your largest wealth builder. And we want to help you do it sooner than you think. We appreciate your curiosity. We want you to know you can do this. You just have to get educated. Right now, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm guessing you're probably in one of three different phases. Phase number one, you clicked on a podcast that says how to buy a home because you have no clue how to buy a house and you want the basic info because your rent sucks and you hate it. Cool. We got you covered. Phase two, you're getting closer. You started saving. You started thinking about this. You're actually out there kind of dipping your toe in the water. And now you're looking for some real guidance because, well, your rent sucks too. Or you're in phase three. You're super close to buying a home and you just started researching because you went to an open house and got super excited. And now you want to buy a house or you're involved in things, or you've talked to other realtors and other lenders, and you're not sure you're getting the whole picture. So you want to validate that what they're saying or the research that you've done is correct. And you want to make sure you're doing this giant undertaking in the right way. Well, cool. We got you covered too. You see, no matter what phase that you're in, one, two, or three, understanding the finances of buying your house, well, that's a huge part of this transaction. Whether it's your first house, your second, or your third, each phase that we've got, they've got little individual nuggets that you can use. So I'm going to lay them out, lay out all the steps that you need to know. There's so many things I've actually had to divide this podcast up into three different parts. This is part one today. My goal is to help you avoid overspending. I don't want you to be getting yourself into a giant jam that you can't get out of. Or what if you undersave for the next few years if you're a phase one person? And then you miss out on your dream home. I mentioned you earlier the deal with a washer and dryer. This is true. When you get into a transaction to purchase a home, when you're in escrow, if there are unusual things that happen, like for instance, let's say you're in escrow and you get fired. Well, suddenly the bank might not loan you the money. That kind of makes sense. Everybody understands that. But if you go out and you buy a washer and dryer, or a new couch, and you're tight on the purchase because you've listened to this podcast and you figured out how to get it done and you think your rent sucks. Cool. Well, now you're buying, but every penny counts. By just that one purchase, you might throw your, what we call your debt to income ratios or just the basic qualifications. And the bank might tell you, you can't get that loan anymore. I've seen people three or four days before purchasing a house go out and buy all their furniture and a washer and dryer 
And either they have to throw in a ton of extra money or some of them have even lost the house. Fortunately for me, it's none of my first-time buyers. That's just stories. But they're true stories and they happen. So for all of you newbies out there, you phase oneers, I'm going to call you, trying to figure this whole thing out, here's maybe the financial crisis that you're in today. You're paying all that rent and you're paying it to somebody else. When you could have easily set yourself up to buy a home and improve your own wealth instead of improving the wealth of your landlord who's sipping Mai Tais on the beach in the Bahamas. So let's figure this out. Let's avoid all the traps and the pitfalls altogether and help everybody out there, phase one, two, and phase three, get to your happy ever after. Now, some of these tips are going to be coming straight from real life stories because that's what's important. At the time of this podcast in the summer of 2019, I've been doing this for 13 years. I've got 81 first-time buyers. And in fact, the stories come from far more than those 81 stories because those are all the stories with the happy endings. Some of the folks that talked to me, they ended up not following the guidelines and they ended up not being able to buy. So there's more than just these 81 stories. And also there are people that are following these guidelines and learning things along the way, but they haven't quite made the purchase yet. We've got our one buyer, Jacqueline. She doesn't count in my 81, but she counts in someone that the podcast has helped to buy their first home. And then we've also got 20 to 25 of you out there right now that are emailing me and asking me questions and we're working through it. So actually, it's like over 100 real-life examples from real-life people using these tips to figure out how to work your finances. So let's gather as a community, figure this all out together, and make sure that you avoid all those issues and help you find your happy ever after. Cheese ball. I'm a cheese ball. Too bad. I also did some research for you. I know I could sound like a goofball sometime, but trust me, I am a very, very serious about this. I do want to help all of you start a revolution and change the way that first-time buyers are treated in real estate. So I went out there and did some research myself beyond just the work that I did. So I got some cliff notes for you. And I'm going to give you all those links at the end of this episode. But if you'd like to, you can always go check out the show transcript, which has all the links. All you have to do is go to davidsedoni.com, click on podcast. This one's number 19 for this one, but this will be episode 19, 20, and 21, three-parter, a trilogy, boom. But all the links are on there. davidsedoni.com has every podcast written out if you want to read and also clickable links that are going to help you. Okay, here's how to financially prep yourself for buying a house. First of all, and most importantly, buying a home should be a long process. It shouldn't be something that you just get on a whim and go out and start looking at open houses. It needs to be started years before. You've got to be taking a look at your income and your debt and figuring out what's affordable for you. And I know that sucks. And some of you, well, actually, it sucks for people that maybe didn't click on this podcast. But if you did, somewhere in the back of your brain and maybe the front of your brain, you're down to figure out how to do some adulting. So get in the habit. And when I say get in the habit, I mean, take these things that we're going to talk about today and put them into practice. Put them into practice so you can practice being an adult so that sooner or later, you can be the lord or the queen of your castle, all right? You're going to have to handle homeowner expenses someday in your life, so you might as well start budgeting and practicing today. Think of it like, I don't know, getting a dog before you have kids. It's practice. Okay, let's get down to it. 
the money. Financially, how do you prepare for buying a house? Well, if you're in phase one, you probably want to know how much you need. That breakdown is in order to figure out what you can be approved for. That's all in episode nine. That's a whole different podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about once you figure out how much you need to make to qualify for a loan, what are the tricks that you do to financially set yourself up? And that means we're going to be talking about the B word. Yeah, not that one. The other one. Yep, budgeting. And that means that you are going to have to put in a little work. And once you have convinced yourself to follow a plan, you, not me, not your parents, not your uncle, not your big brother, big sister, not your psychic, once you are convinced to follow a plan, once you realize that monthly rent payments always, always, always go up, but a good loan, a fixed loan stays the same for 30 years. Once you figure that out, then it's time to start a plan. Your rents are going to continue to grow. Over the last decade, it's been growing at an average way more than your income is growing. In fact, in a lot of places in 2016, 17, 18, and 19, rents have been going up 10%. And as I said before, show me a job that gives you a 10% raise every single year. So first step, figure it out. Where are you with your income? You got to know. That's just part of the plan. Are you young? Is your income going to grow? Are you older? Are you at the top of your income? Or are you in a job where you've hit the top of your income? Or are you somewhere in the middle? If you're phase two or you're phase three and you're getting close to your purchase and you want some more details, we're going to get into that. But I want everyone to understand, once you figure out where you're at, you're ready to practice, don't just go online and click a mortgage calculator and think that you figured everything out. Please, this is so much. I had to break this into three different podcasts. So don't believe, click here, get a house. If you've listened to the podcast in the past, we all know my feelings about tapping to get a house, right? You can't just tap a button. I know that smartphones have done a lot and the internet's done a lot to change things, but seriously, killer, you cannot get a home and a loan as easily as you get an Uber. That's just not the way it works. You might actually have to do a little work to convince a bank or a lending institution out there to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's more than just figuring out the monthly mortgage by putting things into a tap here to figure it out. You have to figure out your monthly expenses and the cost to purchase your home. So we're going to get into those numbers. But hang in there because I know some of you out there are going, hey, where's Captain Optimist? I know a lot of you listen because I tell you all the time, you can do this. But remember, I want you to stop renting and I want you to save your money and I really want you to live your best life. But I need you to understand you need to do this correctly. Sorry, I would like to help you understand you need to do this correctly. I want to give you the honest, pragmatic, big picture. So here's the expenses. This is what you're looking at. First and foremost, you're going to be working with a realtor. Remember, your realtor and your real estate agent is free. So first expense, awesome, zero. If you're new to the podcast, go back and listen to every other podcast. You're going to hear all the details about how getting a free real estate agent, a free realtor is the best thing that ever happened to a first-time buyer. Do not get screwed. Join the revolution. Get a great real estate agent. Change the industry for you and for your benefit. Now, here come your fees. Ready? You're going to pay loan fees, inspection fees, 
appraisal fees, closing costs. And then here's some stuff maybe you don't think about. You might have to take some time off of work. So you might be paying potential vacation days or sick days because you might need them to do some house hunting, or you might need them that time off to be there for your inspection or to sign your loan documents. Because as I said, you can't press a button to do this. You have to sign about an inch and a half worth of paper to purchase a house. And moving on beyond that, we've got moving expenses. And then once you get in there, depending on what you could or could not negotiate within the transaction, you might have repairs on the property. You've also got renovations. You have furniture. And also, you've got lawn and garden stuff. You might have to buy your first lawnmower you've ever had in your whole life. And finally, your insurance and your taxes. And then, of course, the big one, the down payment. All right, so what does that all add up to? Well, first, let's start with your down payment. Your down payment can be as little as zero. If you're a vet or an active military person, or you qualify for some of the special first-time buyer or buyer programs, you can get a zero down payment. But a lot of folks are using 3.5%. That's a number for a specific loan that's called an FHA loan. So it's not 20%. Look, I know everyone tells you that maybe you need 10 or maybe you need 20, but last year, 2018, here are the numbers. 1.76 million first-time buyers, and the average down payment was... 6%. 6%. Not 20, not 10. And that's the average. For most of the folks that I worked with, myself and my team, we did about, usually most of the time, we use the 3.5% FHA loan. So that's the first chunk that you've got to figure out. The second chunk you have to figure out are your closing costs. That includes your title and your escrow and your prepaid taxes and insurance. I'll go into all that later, but it can vary depending on the time of the year that you close. So I'll go on the high end and call it anywhere from 2 to 3%. So if we go with a conservative high end, you're at 3.5% plus 3%. So now we're at 6.5% total. That's not your down payment. That's your total. Your down payment and your closing costs. Add on top of that, your loan, your appraisal, and your inspections. That whole thing should cost you about two grand. Okay, so six and a half percent plus two grand. I know, too many numbers, but look, if you're driving or you're working out or you're on the train, don't worry about it. You don't have to write it down. This will all be in the transcript. You can print it out to your heart's delight later on. And most importantly, the reason why I'm not giving you just a quick little simple number is because anyone who tells you that is lying. I can't. I've got to know everything about where you are financially. And not even me, I'll even send you to a professional, to a lender. You've got to give all your information. You've got to strip down naked. You've got to give your tax returns. You've got to give your pay stubs. You've got to give them your mother's maiden name. And you've got to tell them your favorite color when you were in third grade. Everybody has to understand everything about you and where you are financially. But I can give you some general numbers right now. This will help you with your goal. Okay, so let's take that 3.5% down plus about 3% for closing costs. Again, that 3%, that's high. And then we'll add two grand for the loan, the inspections, and the appraisal. Here's the number. Ready? For a $200,000 place, that's about 15 grand. For a $300,000 place, it's about 21,500. For a $400,000 place, that's about $28,000. So again, if you're trying to figure out a goal, how much money do I need? 
Well, number one, we have to find out, are you approved? If you are approved, you will need for a $200,000 place, about $15,000. For $300,000, $21,500. And for a $400,000 place, you need about 28 grand. That's the minimum, okay, that you want to be shooting for. So if you're in phase one, that's your goal. If you're in phase two or phase three, that's the low end. Anything higher than that, it's important because you get a cushion, right? The big key for this podcast about how do you financially prepare for buying a home? It's so easy. It's so simple that it's stupid. Have enough money to have options. How do you financially prepare for buying a house? Save and have some money. If you have enough money, you won't lose your dream house. Yeah, I'm not trying to be like a one presenter jerk here. I'm trying to explain to you that if your dream house requires you something silly, like you need to buy a fridge instead of asking them for a fridge, and that's the thing that's going to put you over the top so that the seller will accept your offer or so that you beat out another buyer. Well, if you have saved over the last six months, two years, three years, and you've got a little extra money for the fridge, then maybe you can put that into your offer and then you'll be the one that's accepted. If there's a few repairs that they don't want to make, well, don't worry. You can do that with a little extra cash. If your dream house has everything except the air conditioner, you've looked at 30 homes. Well, if you've got good enough credit because you've worked on your financial stuff by listening to this podcast and doing the research on your own, then you can buy the house that has everything on your dream list except the air conditioner. Use your good credit, go to Sears and put it on a Sears credit card, figure out your payments. And there's a thousand other things you can do if you prepared. The idea is prepare and do the non-sexy stuff, the non-HGTV stuff first. Then you're going to be in a better position and be able to get what you want. I know it sounds silly, but I've seen it a hundred times. I've seen a half a million dollar transaction. We're talking about $500,000 purchase for a first-time buyer because I live in SoCal. It's expensive. And I've seen buyers, some were my buyers and some were other buyers that my buyers were competing against. And I've seen people lose their dream home over a $2,000 fridge. So the person that has a little wiggle room wins. They get enormous dreams fulfilled and the other guys run away screaming, bummed out and pissed off. And they think the system is rigged. And then they think they have to rent forever and they whine and complain. I get it. It's hard. But if you're listening to this today, start saving immediately. Every deal comes down to two things, time and money. That's what every single real estate transaction comes down to. The more flexible you are in either one of those, the better deal that you can get. If you're flexible on the time of when you can close the home, or if you've got your finances together and you can close your loan quickly, well, that could save you because maybe the seller might want to close quick and the other people don't have all their stuff together and they need the traditional 30 or 60 days, but you can close in 21 days. Maybe you get the home because of that. That's time. Or maybe you're flexible and you can do 60 or 90 days because you're not getting kicked out of your apartment. That's time if that benefits the seller and you can get a better deal. If you aren't demanding because you're prepared, then you have a better situation. If you have to demand things, if you have to demand that things have to be fixed, if you have to demand the seller has to spend money because you don't have any money, or it has to be done at a certain time because you're getting thrown out of your apartment, 
then expect that to cost you. And in every single deal, money is the cure-all. It stinks, but that's the way it works. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do this. I'm saying you can do this. Go back and listen to the numbers. Make that your goal. And then be ready with savings and a little extra for the little things. As I mentioned in other podcasts, I'm not asking you to deprive yourself. If you're two years out, blow it out this year. Go on a big fat vacation because the year before, the best thing you can do is save, save, save because you'll have those little extra cushions that might help you. Is all of that making you cringe yet? Are you freaking out listening to Mr. Positive and you can do this, spew all this adulting and savings talk? <laughs> Look, part of doing this plan is budgeting, but budget the way that you want to budget. Set your own timelines. And the sooner that you start, the more leeway you can give yourself. Know the math, understand the consequences and the benefits. You got to prepare yourself to shop for a home with the understanding of how to use the internet and how to research, how to choose a badass realtor that's going to work for you for free, right? And how to understand the mortgage process. You got to figure all that out. There are a thousand ways to figure out how not to get ripped off and to get yourself the best deal. But the cure-all for most situations is to have that little extra cash handy. That'll keep you from getting screwed. That's the basic overview of what you got to do to get started. I put together a list of 19 different things that you need to know for your financial preparedness to buy a home. So let's get started on them. And we're going to start with number one. Number one on the list is save. Sorry, socks, but you got to do it. Find your balance and figure it out. Here's what's going on with saving. You know, and here in America in 1975, the personal savings rate was about 15%. Now things have changed so bad. We're spending so much more than what we earn each month that the savings rate that used to be at 15% is below 2.5%. Lots of people are using their credit cards like checkbooks. They're trying to front. They're living poser lives. Even though in the 70s, we were saving all that money. But since then, the cost of housing, of healthcare, of your college loans, that they've all skyrocketed. And inflation and your wages, they haven't kept up with all these skyrocketing new cares in like healthcare, your college, and this house we're trying to buy. They've gone up way more than just following your natural cost of living increase. But savings have dropped by 12 and 13%. Doesn't make any sense. So because it's flattened out, that means most of you folks don't have a lot of extra cash stashed away. So let's try to figure that out. Okay, here it is. Ready? Save. Now, start saving right now. Some people even spend more money than they earn. I remember when I was 21 and I was in Vegas for the first time, my friend was losing all his money at the table. And he's like, that's okay. We're young. We'll make more money. How'd that work out? <laughs> it used to be that 40% of the people were first-time homebuyers. We're now down to 33%. But that's not bad. We can do it. So how do you save up for that $15,000 for the $200,000 house or the twenty-one dollars for $300,000 or the $28,000 for $400,000? It's easy. You just got to get the mindset for it. So don't try to save dollars. Try to save as a percentage. I've talked about this book before, The Richest Man in Babylon. That's where you live on 70% of what you bring in. And then the other 30%, you divvy up. They suggest 10, 10, 10. 
where you've got 70%, that's what you live on. 10% goes to investing, 10% goes to savings, and 10% goes to charity. But you can divvy that other 30% up however you like. For me, my charity, when I was in my 20s, was paying for all my freeloader idiot friends while I was flush, and I bought all their beer and food and entertainment for about six years. Sorry, OC crew. You know I love you, gang, but you know it's true. I have the credit card receipts to prove it. So look, whatever you want to do, but start with that 70%. And then if you want to do 20% for parts of charity, parts of savings, and then 10% of it, make a FOMO account for yourself so you don't feel like you're denying yourself. But if you do 70, 10, 10, 10, however you do it, you will put yourself in a better situation so that you're not paying that ever-increasing rent because it's not going to stop. So open a savings account and automate it. Do it immediately. Put your money on autopilot. Erase it from your mind. Just live on a portion. Unless you are a saver by nature, which the stats show us here in America, you're not. I don't know how you guys are doing in Canada. Didn't get those stats. But you need to automate your savings process. Sometimes you can do it directly through your work and through payroll, just like your 401k does. A lot of times you can do it with your bank. You can allocate a certain percentage of your regular pay that goes directly into a savings account. Or you could set it up with a money market account, accumulating all those funds, and eventually that will be there for your down payment. By doing that, that makes it invisible. Your money moves from your paycheck into your dedicated savings account without you even seeing it happen. It's the best way to avoid the temptation of life. And if you have that little 10% FOMO account, when those tickets for the concert come up, bam, use that. It's fine. Now, listen, I know you might be hearing this right now. And I just said, listen to you and you're listening to me in your ears. How about that? If you have those days when the bills come and you're freaked out and you're scared or just like nagging at you, how'd you like to have that nagging feeling go away because you know you have money in savings? If you've lived on 70% for just three months, the next time the phone bill comes or the rent check comes, you don't have to freak out. You've got three months of money in there. And all you did was cut out 30% of your spending in the month. Try it. Just try it for 90 days. Try it. Track your expenses, see where you overspend and where you can cut back. And if this is too much for you and you're freaking out, then fine. Make a vision board of all the things that you want. How cheesy is that? Okay, so I thought I was going to do this in three parts, but I think I'm going to end up doing this in four parts because there's so much. So let's do a quick recap of part one here today. First recap, you could be in one of three phases. And no matter where you are, the keys are to save. And then we'll figure out how to move that money around if you're in phase one, phase two, or phase three. Number two, understand the numbers. Realize that you've got to have a goal for yourself. And the average might be about $15,000 for that $200,000 house, all the way up to $28,000 for a $400,000 house. And that doesn't mean if you save that, that you qualify for a loan, but this is a number that you can start looking at today. Next piece we want to recap is no going into this. Whenever you decide to do this, real estate is about time and money. The better you prepare yourself to be flexible on both of those options, the better deal you're going to get. And finally, save. You got to save. Try a 70, 10, 10, 10. Live on 70% and automate those 
savings. I actually have a bunch of apps, a bunch of tips, and more things that you can do to help you with your saving and some very detailed things moving into the entire home buying process. This is just phase one. It's good that you're listening today because you don't know what you don't know. Now, the list of websites that help me learn some stuff, because doing this as long as I have, I still learned. We've got Simple Dollar, Money Under 30, Dave Ramsey's another good place. For first-time buyers, USAA, my dad was a Navy guy for years and years and years. They've got some good information there for first-time buyers at USAA. Adam Carroll has the Mastery Podcast, and I've gotten some great information about budgeting and some stuff on student loans. He actually goes around the country and talks to college students about their financial well-being. And then, you know, you guys know my basics. We've got NerdWallet, TheBalance.com, Listen Money Matters. That one helps too. Great sites you can check out. So those are some of the places where I did some research. Obviously, I've been doing this a long time. So there's a lot of information on the podcast. We've got 18 podcasts before this one that dig deep into credit and a whole bunch of other things that on the whole home buying process. And a lot of times the finances gets wrapped up into it. So check those out. I encourage you guys to listen to this stuff over and over again, because whether you're phase one and your years out or phase three and you're close, the more you listen to this stuff, the more familiar you'll become with it. So we're just getting started. This is part one. We went through the whole introduction section and only step one. I've got 19 steps. I think this is going to be maybe a four-parter. This could get pretty exciting. Everything you need to know financially to purchase your first house. If you want more information, go to davidsidoni.com. That's David, S-I-D-O-N-I.com. Click on podcast. Click on the YouTube page. There's a Facebook page, How to Buy a Home, from the guy who brings you the How to Buy a Home podcast. There's also my Instagram, David Sedoni. Lots of places for you to get more information. Check it out. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please help us out. Write a quick review. Share, share, share. Send this to all your friends. Remember, the sooner you get started on this, the better position you're going to be in and you're going to avoid all those problems and have a better chance of getting your dream home. And that's the whole goal of this podcast. All right, that's part one. We're going to move on to part two, part three, and possibly part four coming up. Thanks, gang. Remember, you can do this.